I think I'd rather die in nuclear war than go to Olympia. <laughs> Penn State was in the Atlantic. <laughs> Tired. Mark Whipple was a bad coach at UMass. Wired. Harley Molnar was a bad coach at UMass. Inspired. <laughs> Kevin Morris was a bad coach at UMass. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, good evening. My name is Curry Hicks Sage, coming to you live from my apartment in New York City as my little one sleeps. My little ones sleep at this point, actually. And I try to squeeze in an intro to a long, long, long overdue episode. Later tonight, this episode will feature, well, we already cut the interview, I'll be candid, uh, the great Sully, my good name, Dayton Twitter extraordinaire and college basketball insider of a sort, an outsider insider, if you will. Uh, I love Sully. Great to have him on the show again. A few show notes uh, before we get going. And of course, the program is brought to you by Five College Movers, stress-free moving in the Pioneer Valley and beyond world class. If you got to go anywhere, you go with five college movers, it's just a no-brainer, folks. It's, uh, I mean, it, I don't I don't have to stress it to you. The friends of UMass Athletics, the friends of UMass Basketball, if you're moving anywhere, call Pat and the gang at Five College Movers. They will take care of you, rest assured. Okay, so a few show notes before we jump into the interview. First, Big time apologies for the second time, really, to friend of the show and one-time guest of the show, actually three-time guest of the show, one-time guest that you've heard, three-time appearance guy, Stu Ludicky. Here's why I'm apologizing to Stu. Just prior to Atlantic, uh, to the Atlantic 10 basketball season, we had him on for a preview show. This was three weeks after my little one was born. I literally was so consumed with fatigue that week from being up in the middle of the night, I just never sent Bennett the files. Just didn't do it. Fucking fucked up. Then it was like a weekend. I was like, uh, I can't really do it now, can I? A weekend. Oh, another week. Then I was, So I just felt awful. So I was like, all right. You know what, Stu? I fucked that up. Did the impromptu episode last Tuesday night after the... Bergeron kerfuffle at Rhode Island and I was like Stu just jump on let's do it right now so we cut a fun episode an interesting episode a lot of me rambling at the beginning about kind of my thoughts on Bergeron and where this program is heading and what his role in all of it is and basically me defending Bergeron pretty hard but also recognizing that his personality has certainly um, raised the specter of attention around the program in ways that might at times frustrate uh, athletic directors or head coaches who live in a perpetual world of uh, keep the drama away from me. And it was a fun, interesting episode. But I was like, you know what, I want to make sure I get this right because I didn't want to be, you know, too kind of just impulsive after after a loss and after this kerfuffle so i was like bennett send me the episode i want to listen to it and make sure it's all good before we go live that was the last tuesday night he sends it to me wednesday i got ready to come out for work and listen to it boom my little guy goes in the hospital four days 
RSV, not a huge deal in terms of the, you know, grand scheme of things. Young parents will know about this. It's like a respiratory thing. It's basically for you or I be a bad cold for a nine week old. It's very concerning and they have to put them on tubes and the whole nine. So I'm in the hospital for four days. First day is very stressful because you're just like, what the fuck? Uh, like, it's my kid. It's very disconcerting. But then you're fine. You're just bored. You're sitting in the hospital. Kid's fine. I'm not trying to be a martyr. People have been through way worse. I don't mean anything like that. I'm just noting that I there for like four days. Got out. He got out late Saturday night. And um, UMass played on Sunday. So I was like, you know what? I don't need to relitigate this post-game kerfuffle that kind of went away. This episode's probably not necessary. What does that mean for Stu? It means twice the poor guy has come on my show and not gotten his appearance actually, like, on the show. And that's totally my fault. He's a loyal listener. He's a really perceptive observer of the college basketball scene, particularly the Atlantic 10. And I feel like shit. And I don't even have the heart to respond to his DMs today being like, yo, uh, hey, man, what's going on? I've actually offered in the past to throw him some money uh, for his time. And he's like too good a dude to take it. So Stu, you want a little money? Slide in the DMs. Happy to take care of you, courtesy of the folks at Five College Movers who take care of us on this program. In the meantime, my other offer is, dude, send me anything. I'll put it on the show. Just anytime. I'll put it up. You want to do your own episode? We'll do it up. You know your shit. I feel like an asshole. And lastly, Stu's wonderful wife, Whitney, is the one who made the logo for the show. And they didn't get to use the courtside seats courtesy of five college movers because they're out in Colorado and not going to get back here except until the A-10 tournament. So maybe I buy you a bunch of beers at the A-10 tournament. We do an episode there, perhaps with Sully My Good Name and the George Mason pod pod guys who are all going to be there in a party house at the tournament. Whatever you want. I feel like a shithead. I feel like a schmuck. Let me know how I can make it up to you. All right. A couple other show notes. That aforementioned lost episode, the Bergeron uh, banter episode. I'm not opposed to sending it to a few people, the file, if you want it. But here's my rationale here. It gets back to what's at the core of this program, what it is, how I see my role in this strange ecosystem of UMass basketball as a program, but also my fanaticism for UMass basketball. I am not a journalist. I'm not trying to be on this program journalistic. I do, you know, can be, I can be analytical, I can be critical, but I don't intend to be like a he said, she said chronicler of what's going on around the program. My interest in UMass basketball is fueled by my passion for it having success. And that means that at times, maybe it is better to just sweep some things under the rug unless I feel that those things are impeding the program from getting to where I want it to go. So the line I draw is I'm critical, very critical at times when I think the team, the players, the staff, whomever, the fan base needs to hear the hard that incident last week I'm not I would add that you know is going around does anything that benefits 
the program's long-term success. I'm happy to jump in the DMs as I have with more people than ever after that incident. I mean, I, I cannot tell you the number of people who came out of the work, many of whom I've never met, uh, some of whom are from around the collegiate basketball world, who had something to say, and I guess I take it as a compliment that they came to me. Maybe it speaks to the struggles of our program that um, where people are throwing their DMs, but I was flattered nonetheless. That being said, you know, look, uh, Bergeron's a big personality. Bergeron does it his way. We knew that when we were getting him. Uh, generally speaking, I like the brashness. At times, I think, you know, maybe best to rein it in because the industry you're in is a get-along industry a lot of the time, and you got to just get along to effectuate the change that I think you're capable of bringing. That's a matter of debate. You could go on at some length, and there's so much conjecture and speculation about both that kerfuffle and, you know, uh, Tony's role in recruiting and other things. It's just, I actually think ultimately you're beating a dead horse after a while because it's, there's, everybody's got an opinion to become so speculative. And ultimately, I think a lot of it's overstated. I think you could come up with narratives like this about a lot of programs around the country. And I just decided to nix the episode. Right now, I think if they'd lost to George Mason there, I might have lost my mind. And just who knows what it, where I would have gone. But they held on for the win. So tonight, let's look toward Saturday. Sully's going to talk Dayton in a moment. I just want to reiterate for folks who you know may not have been around UMass basketball that long. I've said it on Twitter this week. When you get a top five, top ten type team in the country, as this Dayton team is, and they really are terrific, in your building, I don't care if you're 0-24, 10-14 like we are, or 24-0. It's a big deal. It's a lot of fun. It's really cool. You may see something spectacular and historic. You may see... You know, an upset like we saw against Kansas in 99 or against UConn in 04. Crazy shit happens. It's a lot of fun. If you're a student who listens to the show, get to the Mullen Center. I am in the process of figuring out my travel plans. It's with my kid being sick. My wife's kind of taking extra precautions, and she's like, well, we're going to Fort in the next week, and I get it, and she's not wrong. Um, Gaber205, friend of the show, if you're listening, I may need you to pick me up in New Haven. Let's touch base on that. Um, I'm going to try to get there. I feel bad leaving my family, but I really want to do it. Another thing, shout-out to Jason Germain, former UMass walk-on and current uh, athletics fundraiser and events guy hooked it up with a ticket last night to an A-10 related function hyping the A-10 tournament at a fun brewery in Brooklyn it was a blast we had a great time had a bunch of beers just very fun great bullshitting with him and my man Sitchman friend of the show who I I took as my guest that was awesome okay Uh, where are we at with UMass basketball we haven't had an episode for a long ass time I apologize for that it's been up. It's been down. You know how it's gone. 
the reality is that the defining narrative of this basketball team that I've been sort of saying all year is that you can say what you want about coaching. You can say what you want about effort and intensity and our lapses and, you know, the, the, four, the five games that we've lost by 24 points or more. The heartbreakingly close losses, the nearly blown wins. Um, the truth of the this is a guard-dominated basketball league, and we don't have a true scoring guard who can get to the rim with relative ease and get to the foul line late in games and get you a bucket when plays break down. You can put that on McCall, you can put that on whoever you want, but the reality is until we get that guy, it really doesn't matter, in my opinion, who's on the sideline. Because you saw against Rhode Island where we played really well, despite losing, you know, Trey Mitchell goes for 30. He still didn't win. Carl Pierre went cold. Carl Pierre is a, or can be a very good shooter. Love the kid more than almost anyone who's ever worn a UMass uniform. But he's not a traditional break you down off the dribble scoring guard. He, he's gotten better at sla- his slashing game has gotten better. But he's not a guy like a Kyle, like a Lofton at Bonaventure, a sincere carry at Duquesne, uh, Jalen Crutcher at, at David at uh, Dayton, Gilliard at, at Richmond. You know, for most of the daily, even at at St. Joe's, you know, a guy who could just get you a bucket when you need it. And, and, and the reality is when you don't have that and your three-point shooters aren't making shots, excuse me, teams are simply going to triple-team Trey Mitchell as they did against Mason. And, um, you know, it, it's not easy. <laughs> if you're hitting threes, you can, you, can, you can win some games because then you have the inside-outside game of Trey and guys hitting threes. But if you're not hitting threes and you don't have a guy who's a, a, a real deal penetrator, it's just not an easy league to win in. And the bottom line in the Atlantic 10 is you got to get players. It's like, you know, you've seen it with Dave Paulson. I was talking about it on Twitter, Dave Paulson, the coach of George Mason. Good coach can really, you know, runs good sets. Guys are always prepared. But he just never has those takeover traditional big-time scoring guards. You know, you had Otis Livingston for a bit, but he, even he was a, a little more crafty in many ways. He wasn't like a just-get-you-a-bucket-go-downhill guy. And the truth is, if you don't get those guys, you're just not going to win at a high-level in this league. So next year with uh, McCrory and, and, and jo- uh, Javon Garcia coming, I mean, I, I do believe that those guys can be X-factors because now you open the floor up and you get Carl and... TJ and and Abaji Walker around the perimeter, a tray down low and a guy penetrating, which forces help defense. Dump it down to Trey. It's an easy two. Kick it out to one of those shooters. Pump fake. Go in the lane. You're always playing five on four kind of thing. You're always moving the ball. Dayton does that very well. Uh, Sully will talk about it on the interview. That's my storyline of the season. Beyond all the you know youth and. And experience and all those narratives. I, I still think if you had, dare I say it, a sophomore year Luan Pipkins, this is a completely different basketball team. Um, I mean, imagine a Pipkins who shared the ball and could, you know, get in the lane like he did. I mean, it's 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 difficult to think of.
happen in the, in the interim. But it's just that that's what I keep seeing out there. That's that's the that's the missing piece. Um, and you know, for everything else that's gone wrong this year, and you know, some of the things that have gone right, that's the thing that you you kind of just can't stop thinking about when you really think about what's uh, caused a lot of this team's struggles. Is there any other opening notes tonight? Uh, let's just get in and talk about Dayton. Hopefully you'll see at the game if you are. If I do end up going, I'll post about it and definitely hit me up. Um, so, yeah. Hello, Sage, you there? I'm here. What up? Sully, my good name, we are so glad to have you tonight. It's been a crazy night. It's been an absolutely crazy night, I got to tell you. The last uh, hour of my life um, has has been truly unexpected, my friend. What happened? Uh, So we were just going back and forth on Twitter, just about like random stuff. So I was going in. Who's we? You and who? Uh, me and everybody. So I like about five thirty this afternoon. I asked a bunch of people, "Who would you like to see on the podcast?" Like, just give me some names of yeah. just random people, yeah. right? And, and you got the usual suspects. You got Scucci, previous coaches, previous players, etc. And then a couple of people were like, "You should get Scott Van Pelt since he's been doing all of these dating oh, spots." Oh yeah, love it, love it. And about, I I was like, oh, that'd be pretty cool. Like, I'd shut down the podcast if that happened because, like, you know, what else would I have left to accomplish, right? And so I kind of, like, set my computer down, and then I went to the shower. And when I got out of the shower and looked at my computer, Scott Van Pelt had replied and said, I'll do it. And I just got done coordinating a time to talk with Scott Van Pelt on my podcast tomorrow. Absolutely love it. He's been team Dayton all year, and that sounds very true to him, and you, you, it's deserved because you do a great job with your show. I've always told you you should monetize it, make it national. That gives us a great segue to open this interview a little bit non-traditionally since folks will probably have heard the uh, sort of lead-up here with Sully and I bantering about Scott Van Pelt coming on his show. Yeah. Sully, my good name is sort of uh, I would I like to liken him to myself, but for Dayton Twitter, which is far more uh, vast in its uh, numbers, robust. It's very robust. It's yeah. very robust, and I, I want to apologize if anyone hears um, my little guy uh, whimpering in the background. He is uh, here with me tonight, as he was when I was on. Hey, buddy on uh with sully about i don't know when was that like five or six weeks ago on your show yeah yeah i think it was like a month ago um and it was funny i remember that specifically because he was like sitting like in your arms and you're like well this is who i am now so it was like a perfect it was like a representation of who you are right like you had to talk about umass hoops but you also had to be a dad you know and that's why we've had so few episodes lately in fact I listeners of the show know that he has actually hospitalized from Wednesday to Saturday uh, last week. He's fine, but with the kids that age, when they have like any sort of cold, I mean, what it's basically a bad cold called RSV. He's totally good now, but that is why we did not put out the episode that we dropped Tuesday night. Cause I told Bennett, I want to listen to it and make sure it was good for edits. 
So uh, I'm going to talk about that at another point tonight, but we've had episodes canceled because of this little one, but we, we carry on and, uh, and we go forth. So Scully, a, a, a fixture on A10 Twitter, a Dayton, he's, he's Mr. Dayton. I mean, like there's no other way to put it. Chicago-based, Pittsburgh native, 2012 graduate. I've learned a lot about him over the years because we've been doing this now two or three years. And as I always say, I believe that Sully and I are the most elite A-10 tweeters in the game. There are some others that rival us. There are some others who probably know more basketball. But I think in terms of our styles, in terms of combining basketball and sort of the culture of fandom – that's why I gravitate towards Sully's content because it's not that we're the best. It's just that we're in similar, we occupy similar lanes from a voice and tone perspective. So it's always fun to get him on the show. Um, That being said, I've always told him off the air in general that I think because of Dayton's large fan base and because of the fact that they don't have a ton of folks who cover them, that you should make Blackburn review the site you write for and upload the, the podcast to I always thought you should try to make it make it sort of a moneymaker or just mo- do it full-time or quasi-full-time. And I'm wondering, my first question tonight, which is apropos given the Van Pelt intro, yeah. um, this year I've got to presume like, you know, I've, I've been seeing you on random other podcasts and radio shows and more mainstream media <laughs> stuff. Has Not only is this a golden age right now, a golden moment for Dayton, it's got to be sort of, high times for Sully. Um, yeah, it actually has been. I mean, you know, 100% culminating in what happened today, um, obviously with, you know, the host of Sports Center who I watch every night, you know, getting back to me on Twitter, which is kind of like a, a very good representation of 2020 that like all you have to do to, to talk to some people like that now is just like go on Twitter, right? I think that's what makes the website fantastic. But to you know, to answer your question, yeah, it has been high times for us. Um, but, you know, like true to form um if if i went back through the stats of the site and i told you which article got the most pickup on our site it wasn't a recap it wasn't a recon of the teams we did it was my guess can i guess yes please go ahead so i don't i'll be honest i don't read a ton of black review i read the umass preview i read things when it's relevant but i'm gonna guess it was definitely something about like a feud over like VCU fans and some sort of beef with them, maybe with St. Louis fans. No, actually it was the article that I put research into that was shitting all over Fordham and their program and how they oh, shouldn't be in the A-10. Right. That got, the only one I've ever shared. I, I shared that yeah. with my Fordham guy. There you go. Perfect. Um, it's funny too, because like a normal article on the site is probably going to get us about 2000 to 3000 hits per day. That article in one day did about twice that traffic. There was like 6,000 hits to the site that day, which, you know, when you talk about like the college media landscape, like that's a ton of eyes because I've been saying this to a lot of people lately. Yes, it's high times for us. Yes, what we're doing is getting picked up by a larger percentage of the fan base, but it's almost like it's not that we're hitting a wall because I think we are starting to get to a point where more of the fan base is latching on. And I will say just, like humbly that I get recognized more than I ever have when I go to games, which I think is pretty cool. Although a lot of times I've like asked for a Twitter handle to like understand, um, yeah, you know, who people are, sure. but, um, 
Yeah, it, it's, it's been just kind of a whirlwind, but I always tell people the college basketball fan, the average college basketball fan, cares about their team and might watch a couple of games that are national games like Duke, North Carolina, and then it's CU in March. So, and then they care about their conference a little bit, too. A little bit, yeah. You'll watch, like, a couple of games in the conference. But, like, 90 – that's, like, 90% of college basketball fans. So it's almost tough sometimes to branch out because I think, like, even the guys that do the A-10 podcast that, like, cover all the teams – it's tough because, like, Dayton fans I know don't really want to hear about all of the other teams in a long-form podcast, which is why, like, when we do an A-10 rundown on my show, it's usually, like, two to three minutes tops. We say, here's the score, here's what you have to look out for this week, and then we move along. So it, it's kind of funny, like, to say that, like, yes, definitely high times, but at the same time, I think we're running into a situation where um, eventually – you know, we'll figure out kind of what the limit is with our show. And um, I don't know, guys, maybe I'll quit my day job eventually. Who knows? But it, you're totally right because, I mean, and it's especially true for me this year because I had a second kid in season. So it was like, I mean, I didn't have a kid. My wife gave birth. But yeah, you were there. Uh, yeah, I was there. Big, big if true. So, <laughs> but this, this thing can confirm. Um, so the thing is, like, I have, and this year is such a wacky year in college basketball that I have not seen. I turned on Baylor, Texas the other night just because I was like, oh, they're number one in the country. I guess I should vaguely tune in to see if in six minutes I think uh, they're gonna get they're gonna choke in March or not. Same thing with San Diego State because I had a YouTube TV like free subscription for a couple weeks, and I was like, I'll check them out against Air Force but couldn't name a player on either team really. And I'm someone who follows college basketball more closely than most. Uh, And because this year is so weird with all these teams in the top five and Gonzaga, like no one ever watches Gonzaga because they play at two in the morning and you know, they're going to win their league anyway. So you just get caught up in March. So all the, like so many of the top four or five, six teams this year are, are totally random and I'm totally out of it. And yet I can tell you, all sorts of things that are happening around the Atlantic 10. So it is a weird dynamic and and trying to cultivate an audience. You're right. There's just not that many college basketball fans, like of the sport, you know, it's, it's, there's so many teams, you know, there's, I think there are a lot of people who are fans of a conference because of their team, but very few, even the most avid, you know, you know, people are, are not, are not national, very few are national fans. Um, but that's and, and that's a segue to what I want to talk about real quickly with, with Dayton. You can go at any point because I know he said 30 minutes, but it's already probably been 15. Oh, I love um, it. I love it. Let's just roll, guys. This is what I, I do. This is what I do. It's funny because we posed a question. This I posed a question on Twitter earlier this week to UMass fans basically being like, who's – Obi Toppin is the best player to come to Amherst since who? And it always goes back. Anytime we have conversations like this, it always goes back to what is what was effectively the 2019-2020 version of UMass, which is 95-96, when Camby and Duncan matched up in Amherst in a pre in a uh, non-conference tilt uh, early in the year. In what really was at the time and and kind of still one of the most hyped games, you know, I don't want to say of all time, it's not, but those two guys would, one went number one, I think the year later, one went number two. So it was a huge deal. And we, and somebody made the point, which I thought was a fair one that 
Obi Toppin's an incredible player. He's gonna he's a he's a draw, but nobody's like banging down the doors to get into the you know the Mullen Center will be like maybe half full. Uh, yeah, if we're lucky because of what's going on, and that's a reflection I just think of the college basketball landscape in general. There's just not unless it's Duke Kentucky at like the Garden to start the year. I'm not sure anyone is a draw like that anymore. But I'm wondering. So I'm wondering like. What what's the when Dayton like what is your read on other teams, uh, kind of the way that they're treating Dayton now as they come into your as they come into their gym like how big a deal are you guys I I think you're a big deal like I'm patting this a big time because it's the first top ten opponent to come to Amherst in I want to say at least fifteen years uh, sure since U- UConn um but I'm just curious like what the what what the perception is among you guys. Um, well, I, I will say this, and I'm not throwing shade. You know, I just like to speak objectively, and people that can't handle it can cannot handle it away from me. But um, it all has to come down to the perceived chance that that team has of actually beating us. So that's why I said I don't want to throw shade, but I think yeah. if if UMass was, like, number four in the conference – and they really were like, you know, maybe like a two-point underdog or like the game was supposed to be close. Like, for example, when we went to go play Richmond, student section was full, place was sold out. Uh, the Siegel Center will be, will be sold out on Tuesday when we go to Richmond. Um, and they just obviously took a brutal loss to George Mason. So that game has turned in from – that's turned from a really need to win to a must win for VCU. So I think that's really how it's been is like when we go to gyms and teams think that they have a chance to knock us off, like it's full, but in the same light, like we really haven't had a lot of those opportunities because like our, our two away games were LaSalle and St. Joe's to start the year. Right. And then we went to St. Louis. That was a packed house. Um, absolutely raucous environment. I was lucky enough to be seven rows off the court for that. So that was a lot of fun. And then Richmond was crazy, but then when we played at Duquesne, um, I'm sure you guys know, Duquesne plays at the Penguins Hockey Arena right now because they don't have a home they court. Play, they actually play at, like, six different places. That was yeah, one but that, one was, that was one. Yeah, and they when they play Dayton, they always make sure they get the hockey arena for that because, number one, they have to pay a ton for it, so they have to make it worth their while. Um, but, number two, our fan base travels extremely well to Pittsburgh for obvious reasons, I and mean, my parents live in Pittsburgh, and my dad's alumni. Um, and they said that, like, the gym for that was, like, 50-50 Duquesne fans and, and Dayton fans. So, um, yeah, people are excited to see us play. There's no doubt about it. But it has a direct correlation with, like, how much fans think they can win. So that, that's my that's my honest answer. Okay. Um, for those – so let's just take it back. Dayton is, what, now 22-2? and two? We are 22 and two, correct. The only two losses being a buzzer beater against a at the time top 20 fringe top 20 Colorado team at a neutral site in Chicago and a Kansas team in the in overtime in the Maui Classic championship game, which is one of the best college basketball games of the year. Both, it was both easily could have been wins. So you you like could legitimately you're you're one or two plays away conceivably from being. 24-0 and number one in the country. I don't think that's an overstatement, actually. No, no. You know what's funny? I actually said that to somebody. Uh, I think I said it on my show, like, two weeks ago. I was like, do you guys realize that, like, if, if just a shot in Colorado goes out, like, that's it. There was no other play that I even need to reference. Like, if the – I think the, the dude – I can't remember the guy's name who shot the ball. Um, 
But if his shot goes out and then Dayton holds on to their eight-point lead in Maui, they're the number one team in the country. And um, that's a wild thing to say because I've been a fan my whole life, like going on 30 years now. And, um, you know, it's not hyperbolic anymore to say that this is the best Dayton team ever. Um, Because not that UMass fans particularly care, but the, the best team, if you ask a Dayton fan, is the 1967 team that went to the national title. And they weren't like a great regular season team. I looked they, that up the other day. Like they were like twenty one and five or something. Yeah, like they were good, but they weren't like you know this like juggernaut team through the regular season. Um, and, and we had good teams in the fifties, but like when you start going back that far, it's just like, Ugh, please, you know what I mean? Like that has nothing to do with the current basketball landscape. So for all intents and purposes, you know that sixty seven team just kind of like got hot at the right time and like. They won two games in the NCAA tournament over time to get to where they were, and then they got squashed by UCLA, and that was the first um, championship of UCLA in, like, the long run of championships. But back to my original point, um, it's definitely the best team that we've ever seen, and, and that's saying a lot because Dayton has a pretty rich history of basketball that started in the 50s winning NIT titles and then, like I said, going into the 60s, and then um, the 70s and 80s were kind of up and down, and then we were really shitty in the 90s when you guys were kind of rattling off your dynasty years. But, um, yeah, it's just it's crazy. You know, I'm really – I've been trying to soak it in and, like, appreciate the fact that, like, our podcast has been exponentially – you know, I guess it had more pickup because the team has been better. So, so. Um, I'm curious, but like, I think I actually just think that being 22 and two with those two losses might actually be better for you. And I have this working theory that you guys need to lose one more game to, to before you before you enter the NCAA tournament. I just I'm thinking back to the UMass teams of those of those era th- those years when UMass opened 26 and 0 and lost to GW to go to 26 and one, and then held off like nine in a row to get to the final four. Is there a sense that um, either it's like a relief that there's a, that you're not undefeated, and also is there a concern that running the table like you know it just happens that way? I feel like if, if you if you win everything and you enter the tournament, I, I feel like the pressure mounts. Uh, is there any concern that you guys almost have been? It's a silly question, I realize, but a little bit too too good in conference. No, I mean, not really. Um, I, I don't really think it's a silly question just because we like how many times have we seen that, right? And um, even in the last two uh, A10, the last two A10 teams that went undefeated in conference, do you happen to know who they are just real quick, like trivia time? Uh, yeah, well, let me see. I was thinking about it today. St. Joe's in 0304. Correct. That's one. And the other one's kind of obscure. No, let me just think this through. So, because UMass never did it. Oh, no, actually, not. did UMass? No, they did not. The, no, I don't think they did. did so, not. the other one, can, can you tell me the year? Oh, wait, wait. Did sure, you, I is can. it like Xavier Two, one of those years? It was 2006. Yeah, so, it was Xavier or Temple that year? Nope, it was not. It was George Washington in 2006. Oh, yeah, yeah, with Pops Mensabonso, of course. And the league sucked, and it was a one-bid league. They got an eight seed and lost in, like, the second round. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, so funny enough, like, the, the point I was getting to was, so there was the St. Joe's team in 2004, and then which was a great team, like, Delonte West, Jameer Nelson, like, that was a fantastic team. They were number one seed, you know, they made it to the Elite Eight, a couple of plays short of the Final Four. 
Um, but then the other team was, was, like you said, George Washington. And the funny thing is, both of those teams lost on Friday of the A-10 tournament in their very first game. So it's a totally relevant question to be like, are you a little bit nervous? And to be yep. honest with you, I'm 100% nervous because I don't know if any UMass fan knows this or cares about this, but the only time that Dayton has won the A-10 tournament was on our own home floor in 2004. We are, being, we are in our 20th, I think our 20th or 21st season in the A-10, and that is the only no, you guys time. Have been, you guys have been in A-10 since 96. 95, 96 season. Yeah, exactly. So so like, this is your 26th season, 25th season. Yeah, terrible at math. There you go. So 26 seasons now. 25, 25 I think, this year, yeah. Yeah, so whatever it is, 25 or 26. Um, and our track record in the A-10 tournament is fucking putrid, man. It's just it's so bad. We've taken so many losses. Like, even as we sit here today, Dayton has not won a tournament game in the A-10 since 2016. We've lost our first round game, 17, 18, and 19. Damn. It yep. is true to think about because it's – I'm just thinking about like having spent days at the Barclays Center now that it, since it's been in Brooklyn since like 13, and I remember one time sitting with a Dayton fan. They lost to somebody too early. That then I I remember I think I saw them lose to Dayton or Davidson one year with Scucci and them. That, that was year. in Pittsburgh. No, the year that they, the year I think it must have been 14. Did they make the final in 14? So in, in no in 2014 we lost to St. Joe's in 2016 we lost to St. Joe's and in 2015 we lost in the A10 final to VCU because um, 2014 was the uh, the Elite Eight year and they just squeaked in but um, yeah it's been like that man it's like especially the the most heartbreaking one was the one you mentioned was Davidson we were the one seed playing Davidson with like just Jack Gibbs and they were like yeah, eight or eight or the nine when was that. That was Pittsburgh in 2017, and I was there because obviously I'm from Pittsburgh, so I went back. And I can't even tell you guys like how mad I was at that game. Like I was fuming, absolutely fuming, because I like planned this whole weekend out. You know, you go back to my folks' house. My mom's pumped that we're there. Like, oh, it, yeah. And then, and then of course, like when you're the one seed, you got the first game on Friday. So it's like you you go back. You have this you're like great weekend plan. And then it all goes to shit by, like, 2 p.m. <laughs> I got to say, the, being on the other side of that, though, in 2012, UMass was, like, I don't know, I think we were maybe an eight seed. And, or, yeah, 2012. And we beat Temple in Atlantic City. And oh, they, yeah. They were the one seed. And it was so awesome, like, just to beat the one and, and like, see all those fans file to the exit. It's, it was so awesome. Because Philly was so close to um, – to AC, so there was a ton of Temple people, and oh, yeah. oh, that's the best when you beat a team on a, on the Friday and you get to stick around for the weekend. But that's not really. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay, so for fans who don't know, um, one thing I want to talk about, which I find really interesting about the Dayton team, is entering. You were really high on them in the off season, and when there's that endless speculation phase in from basically May through like September where people are just throwing out everything on Twitter about the year ahead. I know I would, if I, if I could find those tweets, I'm almost sure I was like, eh, Dayton, not sold. Anthony Grant, like hasn't done much the first two years. I know they have top and back. I know they're legit, but everybody was like, Oh, it's clearly VCU. It's clearly Davidson. Everybody was like, it's those two and everybody else. 
and I guess because you were high on Dayton, I might have been like, oh yeah, they're they're three a, a three, but really anybody could compete for three, you know, like it was. <laughs> And so it's it's easy to forget that this team, which has run the table in the Atlantic 10, has played completely dominant basketball. I mean, they're just blowing teams out of the gym. It, it, it truly looks like you're a Duke-like team playing in the Atlantic 10. I mean, you're, you're just athletically on another level, just killing teams. It's easy to forget that you guys weren't even – by most people's forecast, the consensus pick to win the league or even to be in the top two. Nope. So what is it that, I mean, are you a little surprised by just how good you've been and what do you attribute it to? Absolutely. Um, everybody's asked me, like, how do you feel about this season or, like, the next game or whatever? And, like, I'll be the first person to tell you, like, Dayton fans are completely jaded because every time we get our hopes up, like, they always get crushed by something, like, absolutely terrible that happens to us, right? And um, and this season, you're absolutely right. I mean, if you go back and look at all the preseason polls, almost everybody had VCU picked to win the conference because they were the only team that was ranked in the preseason. And everybody was kind of like, oh, I think Dayton's going to be good. And then people were saying Davidson, and I was like, no way, Davidson's going to be chumps. And I was I was very right on that, as you know. I've been right on that since day one. Um, But, yeah, I mean, it was pretty much like VCU's number one, Dayton is picked number two. That was everybody. So, um, you know, the level set for your listeners, like, I think no one could have really predicted that OB got significantly better than he was last year. Because he was solid last year. Like, I'm not taking anything away from him. But, like, you can't ever predict that a guy is going to go from – a no-star recruit that nobody wants to a red shirt to this, like, you know, freshman of the year candidate to top five NBA lottery pick. I mean, there's no one on earth that could have possibly predicted that. Right. So, so there was that. And then the other thing too, was we had all these transfers coming in and like, no one was very sure what we were going to get from them. As it stands, Rodney Chapman has been very solid. Although he's gone through a slump. Uh, Rodney Chapman, for those who may not know, a former Matt McCall player at University of Tennessee, Chattanooga. He was, yeah. There's so many connections with McCall because of uh, Rodney was a player at Chattanooga. And then, if you recall, uh, Jalen Crutcher was committed to play for Matt McCall at Chattanooga. And then when McCall took the UMass job, he dropped out of his scholarship. We already had a point guard who was McKinley Wright. He left when Archie left, so he went to Colorado, who just beat us. Funny how college basketball works like that. And then we had to go out and find a recruit for uh, point guard, so Jalen Crutcher fell in our lap to, to Dayton. So it's kind of funny how, like, all that stuff comes full circle, right? But um, that's well, the other funny thing. Funny for you, not for us, who struggles, <laughs> who struggles mightily at, at having a scoring guard. But Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, he could do some damage uh, in Amherst. But, um, you know, <clears throat> back to the point. You, know, you have the rise of Obi. You have the transfers that have been fantastic. Like Ibby Watson's been very good off the bench, been a perfect six man. Michigan, and then was Michigan. Yeah, Michigan transfer. He came off the bench in the national championship game a couple of years ago. And then um, on top of that, I mean, Jalen Crutcher has just been like like so much improved from last season. Um, Ryan Mikesell has been the exact same player that he was last year going into his fifth year. Wait, it feels who, like did you say before Mikesell. Sorry, uh, I. I said uh, uh, Ibby, and then I said Crutcher's been improved, and um, uh, Ryan Mike fell after that. So, you know, Mike Sell's kind of been the, you know, the, the steady Eddie, if you will. Yeah, glue guy. Well, he's a white guy, so you got to call him a glue guy. 
Um, and then the other thing too is last year Trey Landers like couldn't shoot the three or the shit, and he was like kind of like doing stuff for us, but then he would like get benched. And coming back into the season this year, we're like, what are we going to get from Trey Landers? And I was like, I have no idea. As it stands, like, he's been churning it out, like, every single night. I mean, the guy's offensive rating right now is 125. It's the second highest. No, I'm just looking. It's the highest on the team. It's like Trey Landers. 68.8% from the field on, on the way to 11 points a night, six boards, three assists. That's just really solid for a 6'5 senior guard who, like, has really gotten his shit together. Yeah, and last year he shot 20% from three. Like, he was killing us. And you know, it was, so, you know, to level set, his offensive rating last year in his junior year was 104. This year it's 125. Like, all of these things. So, like, the thing, I guess the larger point that I'm getting to to finish up on this is that all of the things that we thought needed to come together, 100% did. Like, I literally just, like, listed off our entire team. And there is not a single player – that took a step back or like is hurting us or is like, you know, kind of a wrench in the machine here. It's just been like, you know, you always say that when these seasons come together, you know, everything kind of has to go your way. And that's exactly what it's been with Dayton. Everything has gone our way. But the thing is it's going your way, but it's, it's not like you're eking out wins. Like you are working people. Like you are just dominating. And, 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 and I think, that is what surprised me a little because even last year, the first game when we played you guys, it was like a four or five point game. You know, it wasn't like you, and that was at your place. It wasn't, we played awful when you came to Amherst, but the team had basically checked out by that point. And I kind of just wrote that game off going in. Yeah, you're like, whatever. Yeah, yeah. I actually didn't watch it. I remember vividly, I was like, I'm not going to watch this game because I had a, a, a friend that wanted to meet and I was like, fuck it. We've quit. I'm going to quit for the night too. And, but, but the first game we played you when we hadn't quit yet, it was like, you know, you guys were good. You had some nice players. and But there wasn't like the suffocating athletic defense that just makes it impossible to run your stuff, you know? It was like, yeah, you, you were slightly better that night. You had some good players and life moved on. This year, there's like an intensity and a, and a dominance that it feels like you're watching a, a one seed versus 16 seed type game, like where even if a team sticks around for a little – you guys can actually miss shots or struggle a little bit and still find ways to win. And to me, that's the sign. That's the real mark of a, of a team that can make a deep, deep run in March. And I watch you and it's basically indistinguishable from watching the top high major teams. I mean, it, it's, it's it, the, the, the horses are there. Like this is not OB Toppin and a bunch of, you know, it's not like one of those good Davidson teams where there's like, you know, two shooters and a bunch of European kids who should be playing high-level D3 ball and pass yep. well. Like, you yep. guys are just running teams out of the gym. Yeah, and that's really a testament to, like, Grant putting in a system that was uniquely his because I think at this point Dayton fans are willing to write off his first year because he didn't have the guys he wanted. Last year was kind of still a transition year where he, like, did the best he could, but the team just, like, missed so many opportunities, Right. And then this year was like, you know, you got everybody. He's got, like, five different guards that he can play. He has three guys that can play down low. We had four, and Chase Johnson left school uh, midway through the season. But it wasn't even, like, a blow because we had nine guys that could go for us. And, um, you know, we always talk about, like, positionless basketball being more important now and, and guys going to it. But if you look at any of the national writers that are covering Dayton and talking about us consistently, they're saying that, 
Dayton's offense is about as close as you can get to an NBA system. And, and it's very true. I mean, I now that UMass fans probably haven't watched us much beyond the game that we played, but, you know, really keep an eye on the fact that Dayton's always going to be moving. They're always going to be cutting. And when they get the ball, they don't stand around. They're either going to drive into the hoop or they're going to get rid of the ball to somebody else. So it's just a lot of movement, a lot of high ball screens, and it's always looking for mismatches. And um, a couple of times we've gotten away from that, and that's been the games that have, you know, teams have forced the issue on us. So, and that I'm, I'm basically just talking about St. Louis. So, like, and well, and it's interesting because St. Louis has arguably the best, other than you guys, arguably the best athletes in the league for sure. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. Um, and, and St. Louis gives us trouble because they're they're physical. They rebound well, and they get really good contributions from their guard play. And those are three things that, like, if Dayton is going to be derailed and when we meet our demise, like, that's exactly how it's going to go down. Take that for what it's worth. Sorry, say that last part again. We just had some breaking news on Twitter, and uh, a friend of the UMass podcast broke the news as to who the new uh, defensive coordinator is, and I confess I got completely distracted. It's my first time checking it during our pod. <laughs> what was the very last point you said about beating you? What, what it would take to beat you? Oh, yeah. So I, I was saying, like, for UMass fans, <clears throat> um, if if you guys are going to watch us in the tournament or whatever – the teams that will beat Dayton will get like 25 to 30 points from some guard on their team. They'll out rebound us and they'll play very physical and, um, and, and play good interior defense. Like that is, that's exactly how we're going to get beat. What team in the country has a guard who can score 30 and a bunch of physical dudes down low who are going to out rebound you? Like, I'm not sure that team exists. Kansas, I guess. Yeah. I mean, Baylor, you know, Baylor kind of has an offense that, that worries me. Um, off the top of my head, Iowa is a team that, that really I don't want to play even a little bit. So you've um, been watching a lot of college hoops this year because you're legit like, I want to know who we're going to play in March. Yeah, you know what, man? I'm kind of like this all the time. Um, I, it just doesn't come up a lot, you know? Like, in a normal year, like, why the hell would I need to bring up the fact that, like, I know Luca Garza scores 20 a night. Like, why would I need to well, bring Luka up Garza that, like – like a national name, but, I mean, besides – Yeah, that, I'm just using, like, a random example. Yeah. But, you know, just in general, I, you know, I try to keep up with everything that's going on in college hoops. You know, I don't – you know, it's hard to watch everybody. Like, I know very little about the SEC because it feels like a conference that, like, why should I give a shit about? Um, you know, I, I, but if there's games on and I can watch them, I can consume them, I'll definitely check them out. Um, but, again, there's a lot of teams that I, I'm not worried about facing, and then there's a handful of teams that I really would not – but I would like to avoid – a lot of them are housed in the Big Ten. Ohio State's another one. I really don't want to play Ohio State because they have uh, they have guys that can shoot and they have you know weapons down low that can really bang with you. Um, you guys would you guys might struggle against Rutgers actually. Exactly, exactly, and and that's like kind of the style of the Big Ten this year. So um, you know, larger point is there is a blueprint for how Dayton's going to get beat, and you've already seen it because St. Louis crept up on us both times they played us, and they're not even really that good of a team. I mean, they're kind of like a a meddling A-10 team this year. So we can't be beat. We're not impervious, um, but it'll take a good shooting night, and it will take a team out-rebounding us like 30 to 20 or something or 40 40 to 25 or something crazy like that. So that's not – I mean, if I've been thinking of the possibility, like if there's even a chance for UMass to make this game interesting. And McCall has historically played – 
state and tough. Yeah. Um, I do think being at home matters because you just get calls at home. Like it just, and, and I think some of the physicality you guys show at home is a little tougher to pull off on the road. Um, just because you get ticketed with like little ones early and it just forces. And UMass has some shooters. Um, and has, has if we had TJ Week still, who was leading us in scoring when he went down about 10 games in a freshman, I actually think with, with two or three shooters plus Trey Mitchell, we would spread the floor and make things interesting for a bit. Uh, I really don't see that happening now as much as I'm trying to come up with, you know, scenarios in which that would be the case. Is there any concern about Trey Mitchell from a Dayton perspective, or do you think Obi Toppin's just going to take care of business? No, I mean, I, I, I would like, I definitely think that, you know, UMass has capable players and, and Mitchell's certainly one of them. Um, but I just, to be honest with you, especially coming off the dismantling of Rhode Island, um, I think this team sees exactly what's in front of them every night. I don't think they get caught up in looking ahead. And I think that, you know, they are very much of the mindset of like, hey, you know, 18-0 and is very much in reach, and you got to take every game one at a time. Um, I, I just – I haven't gotten um, – I haven't gotten the feeling that they've been looking ahead much. And the only time I could think that that happened was in the non-con. And, like, I'm not going to compare you guys to, like, 300 Houston Baptists. Like, that would be completely yeah. disingenuous of me, and I would not do that. So, no, I, I just don't think Dayton's going to struggle with this game because I think they're just going to treat it like a business trip. They're going to jump out to an early lead, and then they'll probably – like, the more of the blueprint for us this year is that we jump out to an early lead, we play really well, and then we kind of leave our foot off the gas in the second half. So that's probably what you're going to see. Yeah, it's worth noting, though, you, in the early part of the A-10 play on the road, you did kind of struggle at St. Joe's. and For sure. And you did struggle. Duquesne made it an interesting game late. I mean, I'm, yep. just re- I'm grasping at straws here. I no, no, I mean, that was fair. Duquesne made it a close game late. Uh, St. Louis, you know, we could have definitely lost that game, too. So, you know, and there were... I al- and I also think... UMass is, is this is our our bye week, so we we didn't play any. So I think that that actually helps a lot for a young team. For sure. And you guys uh, have VCU coming up, and we're like a classic trap between VCU and 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 um, URI. So if ever like if ever there were a time, you know, for something crazy to happen, this that that plays nicely into UMass's hands. I mean, there's you know there's not much there personnel wise that suggests this game is going to be close. But from just a, you know, preparation standpoint, McCall's pretty good schematically when he has some time. And, you know, it's a trap game for you. You guys have to travel. you got to fly. It's like, you know, it's um, – hold on, i got to get my kid. And especially um, coming off a win. Yeah. You know, you, you guys are coming off a good win against George Mason. So well, it, can, it, was, it was a weird win. We were up 14 to five minutes left, and we won by two. We probably should have <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks a lot better today, though, with George Mason beating VCU. So, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna let you go in a second because my wife just pushed me out of my room because she said, "Don't grab the kid while you're talking." <laughs> um, but uh, what I wanted to say is, are there? Any, so I got one storyline to look for 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 those Dayton fans listening. That's an interesting one um, that that a lot of UMass fans are kind of quietly bantering about. You may have seen during the uh, Rhode Island UMass game, uh, our assistant coach got into a 
eh, we'll call it a kerfuffle uh, after the game with David uh, with uh, URI head coach David Cox. Sure. That stemmed from an incident. Uh, the precise facts of which are, are up for debate, depending on who you talk to. Uh, over Jacob Toppin, who played for Bergeron at Woodstock Academy, where he coached last year, alongside Trey Mitchell, alongside TJ Weeks, alongside um, uh, who's our other uh, uh, Preston Santos for UMass, basically. Um, Jacob Toppin played for Bergeron, didn't come to UMass, went to URI. Uh, that was the source of the shit talk. He was talking shit about sort of Bergeron, Bergeron, whatever. Apparently, and I've got this from several good sources, so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna trust this. Bergeron and and Obi Toppin were going at it over the same Jacob dispute um, at Dayton earlier this year. And apparently the Toppins and Bergeron just do not get along. So they're, so apparently Obi has a little something extra here for, for UMass. And that's, a, that's an underrated storyline and sort of a, a subplot to look out for narratively. Anything you think we should be looking for that, uh, that you're kind of looking at in this one that's of note? Yeah, I'll, I'll finish up with this. Um, and I did say this to a couple people on Twitter that had, had mentioned this like beef or whatever that's like rising. I do not think it's going to manifest itself into anything tangible just for the simple fact that like we have way too much at stake to be like dicking around in like a family feud right now. You know what I mean? And people were like, oh, Obi's going to go out and get him now. And I was just like, he is like he's in a national player of the year discussion. We're undefeated in the conference. Like, he is not going to do anything stupid, and he's just too – he's too genuine, like, too good of a guy, you know. And, and you always see this, like, you know, it, in in college basketball where, like, guys have to, like, settle their beef or whatever. And, and I just – I don't think that that's going to happen. I think that Dayton's going to go in. They're going to have a workmanlike approach to this game. They're going to get their business done. They're going to get the fuck out of there. So, um, that that's what I expect. Feel free to disagree with me. No, I, I, I don't here. actually disagree with that. It's just, it's a funny, like, swirling undercurrent to this whole dynamic. And I got to cut the intro to the show, but the entire, just so you know, the entire last episode we did on Tuesday night, and it was right after that Rhode Island thing last week. And, and then I, I opted, I was like, you know what? I'm not even going to, it was all about the Bergeron incident. I was like, I'm not even going to drop this episode because I went to the hospital the next day and didn't have time to listen to it for four straight days, and then the next game came, so I was just like, eh, does this make sense to even post? Yeah. Um, but uh, I feel really bad because the guest we had on is not going to get to be on, and that happened another time with him earlier. This year. <laughs> it, it happens. I think it happened with uh, you one time with us. So it yes, happens. it did. It did. Yeah. Um, so final score prediction. Final score prediction, I'll say Dayton wins like, 85 to like 67. Like just, I think they'll cover the spread, but they won't win by 20. Wait, there's not a total out yet, is there? No, not yet. But I imagine the spread's going to be about 15. That's what I figure, like 14 and a half, 15, something like that. Yeah. I will say, so I always do this where I pick like two scenarios. I feel like it's going to be either like 88-50, Dayton, or like 
73-69, and UMass plays really well and just doesn't quite, you know, just doesn't quite have the horses to get it done down the stretch. Sure. So it's going to be supremely ugly because Dayton just, you guys go on those runs and it's just completely demoralizing. And UMass folds when they when they encounter one of those runs. Sometimes they'll fall behind ten and they have the they'll have the talent to get back in the game. But when they don't, it gets real ugly. We've had five games with twenty four plus point losses this year. Yep. And it's not always the ones you think. I mean, we lost to GW by twenty four, and it wasn't about talent. So if Dayton kind of comes out furiously and hits like three threes in the first minute and a half, which is not inconceivable. And it's just like nine, nothing before you know it, that game could get really ugly. And UMass fans are kind of waiting to lose their shit on everything right now. And it could just be a bad, ugly day in the Mullen center. Conversely, I think you could have, you could also see UMass, you know, a bunch of freshmen play with nothing to lose and have their effort of the year, Hop and pick up like an early foul or two. Trey Mitchell, you know, finish with 30 as he did against Rhode Island, where we lost by six. And it could be really, you know, and that was at at Rhode Island. Um, not that they're comparable in talent, but um, and it could be very, very interesting. Um, but that, those are kind of the two scenarios. Bennett, you got one? No. You got a prediction? Uh, Dayton wins by a lot. <laughs> you can Bennett, tell that I'm, I'm a very casual fan on the pod. Bennett is probably like on a White Sox message board right now, like really deep in some thread about a relief pitcher and like double A. I stick on Twitter and I go on Reddit, but Reddit's garbage, so I stick on Twitter mostly. Thank you. I agree. I'm with you again. I'm with you. All right, Sully been great having you be sure to share this with your fans if you don't follow sully and you care about atlantic 10 basketball at all you're doing it wrong sully my good name um it's worth noting that we're going to be riding hard for dayton you know into the postseason so i think any a10 fan right now who cares about this stuff is is point for you are you coming to brooklyn for the a10 tournament I will be there. So that is what I will finish up with. I will be at the A10 tournament. I just got word of uh, some people in our community helping me out to, to get there, paying for some flights. I'm staying with the George Mason guys. We're going to have a big old party house. It'll be an A10 party house. So, uh, yeah, absolutely my good name. You can follow me. Check out our podcast. Uh, I am actually going to be interviewing Scott Van Pelt tomorrow and possibly uh, posting that podcast on Friday. So always a pleasure to be with you guys. I love coming on, love talking to you about hoops, and, uh, you know, hopefully we can do it again soon. I absolutely love it, and I will be sure to spend some time at that party house, no doubt. (laughs) For sure, man. You guys take care, and we'll talk soon, all right? Later. Okay, folks, we're about to do some mailbag time. Let's give plaudits one more time to the great five college movers. Um, They are world-class. Can't say enough. Stress-free moving the Pioneer Valley and beyond. Check them out if you're moving. If you're not moving, they're good dudes. Uh, So here's the thing. Not many questions tonight, but presumably, Bennett, you have the file from last week. Maybe you want to throw some of those in and just note that these some of these are from last week when we on the episode we did not drop. 
But here's some questions that we did get for tonight. Riff Raff Street Pat, PVL7 on Twitter. Great friend of the show and a great uh, UMass fan who knows a lot of shit. You should definitely follow him. He says, is this year's Dayton the best A-10 team of the 2000s? And then he notes what he believes are the contenders. Uh, 03 Xavier, that was the David West-led group. Uh that went 15-1 and one and got a three seed. The 4 Xavier team, uh, which got... Wait, 4 They were a seven seed and made the Elite Eight. But if they were a seven seed, they couldn't have had a great A-10 slate. So it's sort of like I kind of disregard that despite the tournament run. 4 St. Joe's, which is Jameer and Delonte West team, which is fantastic. And 8 Xavier, three seed Elite Eight. I don't remember that team. Had two Holloway early years. Was Mark Lyons on that team? I don't totally remember. Um, yikes, those Xavier teams. It's interesting. I, I, I barely remember them, and they were so good. And the Cintas Center would rock. And UMass had a little bit of success there, but it's weird. I just Xavier era, which was actually, you know, a decade plus, I, I don't really remember it that well. And yet they were so dominant. In part, that's because that was when I was in college and high school. And I think my fandom was waned a little bit, at least for probably the first two years of college and the whole Lapis era. So that could be why I don't remember a ton about Xavier. But to me, West and, and, um, Jameer Nelson, that backcourt was the best in the country. They were number one seed. They opened the year like 31-0. and 0. They lost in the conference tournament, if I recall correctly. But that was a nationally relevant phenomenon. I mean, they, they were just killing teams. They made it to the Elite Eight, lost to, to Oklahoma State, if I recall correctly. As many of our listeners will know. That backcourt was sensational. Two NBA, two legit NBA vets. So, you know, I am going to take them, I think, right now. But I do think with Obi Toppin's ceiling and the number of pieces they have around him, I think they're deeper than that St. Joe's team. I'm trying to think who else is on the team. Was Pat Carroll on that team? Um, They had some other dudes, but I feel like this Dayton team might be deeper. Uh, It's worth noting that, and as Sully noted on the show, that Pops Mensa Bonsu led GW team in 06 was undefeated. And they got like an eight seed and lost. So it was a bad league that year. I think it was a one-bit league. So hard to compare. But if you're a GW fan and they're out there, you know, those were glory days. I mean, you know, Carl Hobbs at the helm. I mean, that was a good GW team. Don't, don't, let's, you know, let's not, Let's give them their due, um, but I think it's 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 definitely that that St. Joe's team right now. And I think if if Dayton go runs the table here and wins the league, I think they get a one seed, and you have to give them the edge over even that St. Joe's group. But of course, it depends if you're making the assessment based on tournament success. Uh, so you know it kind of remains to be seen. Tony. Devlin asks who guard he appears to be a Dayton fan who guards Obi on Saturday I mean I think you have to throw Trey Mitchell at him it's really the only option for UMass you know DeJiri Baptiste will get moments uh, you know I mean there's really no one else on our team to guard him it, it, this is a game where 
we'll see what you want about Cy Chapman, but I do think this is a game where you really miss him. Uh, just to have an extra body out there to, to throw different options at the kid and just try to make things a little bit difficult. Um, you know, right now we really just have two guys and you worry about trouble. So, um, Real Mike R91 asks, why won't UMass acknowledge Jim McCoy's existence as all-time leading scorer and retire his number? Man was the one that started it all. It's a really fair question. Jim McCoy, all-time leading scorer, I think he had like 24-something and 24-70, something like that, points, um, you know, came kind of the first, really, I think this is the first or second year of Calipari because I think he graduated in 93 because 94 was the first season I remember really well and he wasn't on it but he had just so he'd already sort of been there maybe he graduated in 92 um a dominant player you know put up like points every year although I, I have to say you know people people first of all there's a little context here Julius Irving if he played four years obviously would have been uh, the leading scorer, right? Like, freshmen weren't even allowed to play back then. They played on the JV. And then he played two years and left. So he might have fucking got it in three. I mean, he was that dominant. So, you know, that's one thing. Secondly, retiring numbers is, and Marcus Kamen only played three. So, you know, he may have got there. I'm trying to think of how many points he ended his college career with. But he probably wouldn't have surpassed McCoy, but he probably wouldn't have come close. And Lou Rowe, whose number is retired, his, you know, he got the team to, I think it was two Sweet 16s and an Elite Eight, plus a two-seed where they got bounced his junior year in the second round. So he was a tournament guy all four years. McCoy probably to some degree benefited from the fact that when he got there, UMass wasn't good, and so he got a ton of minutes right away before the, the glory struck, and so... Some of it's, I think, a byproduct of just having been there at a time when there wasn't quite as many fantastic players. And, and, and you know, I mean, but, yeah, you can make a case. But, you know, that's a tricky one because, you know, the number two all-time league scorer is Ricky Harris. I love Ricky Harris more than just about anyone to ever wear a UMass basketball uniform. But he didn't make a tournament. And, you know, I mean, you can't retire that many numbers. McCoy did make tournaments, but it's just... I don't know. Yeah. Did he make, you know, I mean, let's see. Did, did he make, he made the 92 tournament. And if he got 93, he would have made that one. But he might have been on a 92. So, you know, it's not like he made three tournaments. Um, I don't know. It, it's tough. You could make a case for sure. I'm not going to dispute that. Um... Let's see, other questions. Sloven, great friend of the show, is asking where he should go to college. Amherst kid, now he's making the call, senior in high school, Syracuse, Ithaca, Penn State or UMass. Tough call, dude. You got to make that one yourself, I'm afraid. Whatever strikes you as being the most important, as, as, as you know, feeling right. I know it sounds cliche, but pick that one. And if you don't like it, just come back home and transfer to UMass. So if you go elsewhere... Enjoy it. Give it your all. If you don't totally love it, come back to UMass. You've tried it. You've seen what it's like. Uh, I mean, I didn't go to UMass, so I, I get what you're going through as a local kid who grew up 
around campus and a diehard fan, you'll always have a part of this world. I can promise you that. Uh, but if it if it's important to you to get that UMass degree, you know, get it. But you could also go for an MBA. You could go for I think you want to be in business. So I mentioned that you so you can get a grad degree. Um, I don't know. It's tough, man. It's tough. Um, let's see here. There's always people like jumping in the in the messages with all sorts of thoughts, like about like this guy Greg Ledger, who follows the show. He's an engineer. And he's giving Sloven like all these thoughts on like what he should major in and like job skills and all that so and I respect the guy because I like him and he's got a question I'm going to answer in a second but it's so not my lane in that regard because I was like a history major and I liked college for like just reading cool shit and not thinking about career uh, and I'm kind of torn on that question because he's like pick up a trade if you're not going to study one of these things and I'm like well, what about just the joy of learning I don't know you know especially if you get money it's like learning's cool uh, that's the value of you know, you think critically and like a liberal arts education. I don't know. I mean, I, I, maybe I say that because I like don't have those other mathematical inclinations, but I still feel like there's value in just reading cool shit. And, you know, I mean, college can be total bullshit, too. Don't get me wrong. I skipped a lot of readings, but uh, it's a little too simple to just be like, go pick up a trade. Like, what if you don't what if you're not good with your hands? What if you, you know, I mean, like. You want to write for a living? What you, you, you I don't know. Uh, I think I think engineers are too dismissive of the liberal arts, and I think liberal arts people are too dismissive of engineers and STEM people. I think that both serve valuable roles in society, not always for immediate practical job application, but for you know, college is also about how you want to live your life. You know, if you want to wrestle with ideas and think about not to get all high-minded, but think about what's the role of, you know, being a citizen. It's not just about job skills. And look, I wish I got more tangible job skills and all, and I still am sometimes like insecure about ones I don't have. But I also think a well-rounded, you know, education, history, or English serves a lot of value in terms of your life and the way you appreciate things and the way you critically engage with things and laugh at shit there's some value in that is it too much money yeah it is but uh value so he said so greg's question to go on off that tangent says yes or no santos is a starter for the rest of his career at umass i say yes because he sets the tone and level of effort standard for the team thoughts uh not necessarily no I mean, first of all, he might be better off the bench. Just, like, his style, he gives you this defensive spark. I love Preston Santos. He's been fantastic of late. Um, but he's a guy who is probably not a traditional starter in some ways because he does a lot of little things well, but he's not, like, a specialist. And so you can you can use him as a backup to a lot of different players, really, at the 2-3 and even kind of the 4 because... The guy's put-back dunks are sensational. So, I mean, I love what he's doing. If you want to keep starting him, great. But I don't think that's a automatic, and, and I don't think it needs to be. Um, let's see. 
Any other questions here? Do I have any more? Wow, might be one of those nights. Yeah, Slovin, maybe just jump in on, or not Slovin, Bennett, if you're listening to this, maybe just find some questions from the last episode. Um, I think that's it. I think that's all I can find. Anyway, peace. See you later, guys. As Cal would say, love you. I'm out. Cal's in a Kalegi, not John Calipari.